0: Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first inside groove super podcast of calendar year 2024 episode 139 to be official my name is tom baker and let me be probably the last i would assume by now to uh wish you and your family a safe healthy and prosperous new year hope that it's gotten off to a um a safe and successful start for you. And boy, do we have a show to start the year? Brian course is going to be our special guest. Brian is a Canadian and has been around the Oswego Speedway for a long, long time. And, uh, started quote unquote, officially. He was a fan. Of course, he and his dad used to come to the races all the time and, and, uh, wimpy. And then he, so he was a fan and he became a, a, a crew member of two of the most prolific super modified teams in the history of the Speedway. And then he got his shot to actually race the super modified, did that and uh, uh, ran the TQ midget for a bit as well. That was previous to the super opportunity. So i um, going to uh, chat with Brian. Really cool story. Brian's one of the nicest guys that you'll ever meet and uh, drove for Ralph McLaughlin. So uh, that will give me a chance in the final segment to um, chat about Ralph a little bit and um, how much he impacted the Speedway and several drivers as a car owner. So we'll get to that. But boy, do we have some news, lots of news. <laughs> the 2024 ISMA MSS schedule came out and yikes i mean i think we were all hoping that um isma and mss would put a a a little bit more of an expanded schedule out this year and maybe some interesting tracks besides sort of the norm you always want to see a lancaster or somewhere else thrown in there right because it's new and exciting and fun we we got evans mills we have the classic established there now the john burr classic but oh my gosh so two things about the ISMA schedule, and you can find it uh, on the uh, on Facebook or ISMA's, ISMA MSS's website. Um, we'll, we won't uh, read through the entire schedule, but the two big pieces of news, they're going to New England. They're going to be back in New England, which is great. Um, Claremont Speedway on August the 15th and... Lee Speedway on August the sixteenth. That is a Thursday Friday double header um, for the Super Modified's in New England ISMA MSS banner. So this will be interesting to see how many, you know, how many cars do we get, right? Because um, you would love to see some of the NESS teams support it. Um and I'm sure they would be welcomed to support it. So hopefully that will be a show that sort of brings some of new England's best out to play together for uh, two nights of racing and two really, really cool racetracks. So that should be a lot of fun. But then the topper came out of uh, gosh, maybe a week ago here, a little over by now. Um, the return of, of the super modifieds to North Carolina as Isma and MSS are returning to the North South shootout. Now this is a mega event with multiple divisions of racing. The modifieds are always, at least in in my mind, the headline division, but uh, there are a number of classes that compete and sometimes they're, they're different from year to year at the shootout. But uh, everything from legends cars on up and uh, usually modified some sort of late models or, um, you know, and and there's four or five classes. The super modifieds were a part of that north-south shootout in the earlier 2000s for a few years when it was at Concord Speedway, which is now gone. Um, It is now a um, pick and pull or whatever, some sort of junkyard. Basically, which is sad. But um, now the event since Concord closed has been held at Carraway Speedway, which is a track that's very old and aged, but the facility has been really revitalized and um, cleaned up over the last couple of years and brand new grandstands going in for 2024. So, should be fun that's at the beginning of November so that's huge now it's an on point show but $10,000 to win now look that's again we talked on our last show about how the opportunity is now for super modifieds and again umbrella big blocks 350s um you know i include the sbs but Danny Kapazinski's done a great job of getting that division out and carrying on what a bunch of us started years ago with Nora and then Mike Bruce and Camden Proud uh, carried on for a while with it. And um, now Danny's doing a great job. Um, So the SBS kind of carrying the flag, but we need the big blocks in the 350s to... um, to start, and and one of the things I talked about was the the need for the super modifieds to become nationally relevant again. That's how you're going to build interest and revitalize the class. When it was at its peak in the seventies, it was you you had supermodified tracks. You had tracks that ran supers all over the place, all over the country. You had a number of different sanctioning bodies. You had tracks that that just ran them. Um, I mean, of course, back then, Supers were run what you brung, but, you know, it was, this is what you need. And when Davy Hamilton Jr. did the Open Wheel Showdown at Las Vegas last month, that put the Supers on a big stage. And so, now that event... News on that front, too. That event has been moved to Irwindale Speedway, which is basically in Los Angeles, California. And we all know, uh, we know it's going to be there this year. It also got moved to Thanksgiving weekend. So now it's a Thanksgiving weekend event. And this is what's, this is interesting because, you know, again, that's, um, that's even a, that's another half a day's drive from Las Vegas, I believe. Four or five hour drive, somewhere in there at least. And so you, it's, and it's Thanksgiving weekend. So the question will become now, how many of the East Coast super modified teams are going to, want to, or I guess a lot of them would want to, but how many of them are going to be able to make the trip? How's that going to affect that turnout now? And especially given that you can, you can come to Carolina in the beginning of November and run for 10 grand to win. I mean, Davey so far, the the purse for the midgets and the sprint cars is 25 and 50. Thousand, respectively. Not seeing a lot of movement in the supermodified payout. So, you know, I I hope that we I I would be reasonably assured that if Dave Danzer is able to go back, he will. That's just me saying that. I haven't talked to Dave. Um, you know, maybe you would see, perhaps, maybe you would see Otto Sitterly in the Kautra car. Maybe um I don't know who else would go but love to see it, but here's my point now you've got that big race in California you've got a big race now in North Carolina this is what we need. the 350 Supers had a chance to run during the speed weeks in Florida and that didn't happen. I'm I we, I can't emphasize enough the 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 opportunity that exists for them for next year. Too late for this year now, but but we we would have to be able to because you you won't draw enough cars if you only have one set of rules. And this is the problem with the 350s. Now you got crates and builds, and it's divided just like the big blocks were. You, you, so in order to be able to get any, you know, bigger money shows or, or make it make sense for a promoter at a, at a place like down in Florida at Auburndale, there is definitely, uh, and I can tell you that the, 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 uh, the goal for 25 is not just to have the Florida show, but there's one that we're planning in the Northeast as well. So the opportunity for the 350 supers is there but we would have to be able to get the guys to agree to some sort of a you know a rules package here that, that allows the cars to be able to run competitively together and then you can do the necessary work and and get put the money where it needs to be to make to make it worth it but there's, there's opportunities. We talked about the super modified that was on display. I guess it was a 350 at um, the PRI show in Indy beginning of December this past year. This is the time. And now with this show in North Carolina, I mean, if you look at the ISMA schedule as a whole, Isma's doing this right. They've got New England. They've got. New York, Oswego, which is still, I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves here. Oswego Speedway is still the home of the supermodifieds, right? Only weekly track that runs them. But, so you've got strong presence at Oswego through the Cotris series. You've got the two New England shows now. You've got a, a, a strong Midwest presence with the Super Crown Nationals and the um, the 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 race up in Michigan, the Great Lakes Classic, and now you've got North Carolina. So you you're dipping now into the Southeast national relevance. If that would be the goal, speed weeks, and again, it doesn't have to be the big blocks. We're just trying to get exposure for the super modified division as a whole. Speed weeks. Should be a must. It's about the supermodifieds are about the only major division that isn't running down there. And hasn't for 30 years. So if there's, we need to, again, we got to get everybody to start thinking bigger than themselves. We've got to get everybody to think about what could happen for super modified racing as a whole. You've got Davies show out west. And again, we may still see, I hope we still see a few East Coast cars go out there. Maybe Thanksgiving weekend with a holiday mixed in. If people are willing to, you know, kind of give up the traditional Thanksgiving day at home with Turkey and Dallas Cowboys football. (laughs) Dallas is bringing back Mike McCarthy. So, you know, you can probably skip next year's game. Um, That's a different show. Sorry. Um, You know, you probably aren't missing much. But um, maybe that'll help. Maybe that the extra holiday and and kind of that built-in time off of work or whatever, maybe that'll help. But... Again, just just knowing that that supermodifieds are strong out west and they're getting stronger, and that show is still going to be a part of it, um, and and a, and a a real sort of um, that's their big deal for the year, I would assume, is that show at Irwindale. and so now you've got North Carolina, you got the Midwest, the Upper Midwest, the New England, the Northeast covered. You're your, You're really on your way here. I think that the next, if I were Danny Sewell and Lori May, the next hurdle I'd be crossing is to make sure every one of their shows are live streamed because that's going to be the key sponsor is going to want to see if you're going to get a big sponsor, you've got to live stream the shows. You don't need broadcast television. Not at this level. You can get a broadcast TV deal, but there are others you can you flow is obviously the easiest. Or if you really wanted to make an investment, which I think would be wise if it were possible, build your own team. Do it yourself. That cuts out the middleman. So now you do look at Land of Legends Raceway in Canadagua. Figure out their Look at their business model. That was kind of a copy of Oshwiken Speedway over in Canada. eh? Look at their business model. And that's what the supermodifieds need. They are still the most exciting, exotic, short track cars anywhere in this world that I know of. I mean, there's a couple classes in the UK, believe it or not, that run oval over there that... I mean, but they're they're more exotic looking in terms of just being weird, kind of like a transformer car or something. Um, And and they're called Formula One cars, believe it or not. F1 and F2. Go do some research on YouTube if you want to have a good laugh. But these things run rub rails all the way around them. And the whole idea is it's kind of like it literally is roller derby on wheels, (laughs) I mean these guys knock each other into the wall, they flip each other. It's 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 the craziest thing you've ever seen, but in terms of the type of racing we're used to and and not being all that, right? But being just exciting racing, the super modifieds are still the problem is they're not relevant. And it's because they've been so regionalized for so long and there's so few of them actually racing. So Now we've got a show in North Carolina. So I am strongly advocating here. Number one, old-fashioned promotion still works. Reach out to media. Reach out to fan bases that are new. Go into, send. they already sent, I saw that the 95 car, Schillick's car, which is housed down here because that's where Chris Ocetic's from showed up at the track for a photo op. But I mean, tell the media, make, do some stuff here. You know, get the word out that these cars are coming. It will draw fans like crazy. And Facebook is not the only tool. Come on. Old fashioned press releases, send them out to the media the local radio, TV, medias that cover racing down in this area, like me, build the list, do it right, and that would go for the whole ISMA season too, go into each area, see if there's a morning show somewhere in a market close to the track for crying out loud get a driver on the morning show get somebody that can talk intelligently about this and hype them up Facebook is becoming less efficient by the day because too many people on it too much content in our feeds only three to five percent of the people that you that that follow you ever see an individual post and obviously that's a different 3 to 5% it just depends who's on who's whatever it's 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 not you got to do better we got to compete in terms of notoriety we got to compete with the bigger divisions the late models the 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 cars the, the world of outlaws the cars that are that are running cross if we want to be as relevant as they are We've got to be able to do better at promoting ourselves and the class to new fans. So there, there's my rant part of it. It's not even a rant. I'm just encouraging. It's like, wow, the opportunity has been put in front of us. Let's do something with it. Let's not just show up and race. Let's do something with this and get as many people to know what supermodifieds are in these areas as we can because this may be the last opportunity we get i mean you know there's only (laughs) everything has an expiration date you just never know and we need more cars and more new drivers that's what we need and that's how you get them you go to where other cars race and other people race and you show them what you got and say, look, you can have this in your area. And I'm still saying the 350s are the ideal. That car could be national in five years. You could have tracks all over the country running small block supers, 350 supers in five years. It could happen. You need you need some sort of a way to have, here's the car, so... It's almost, here's the parts out of the catalog. Here's the car. That's, that's the first thing. But, you know, you just need to be able to get out there in, in different parts of the country and let people see it. It's there. And the 350, the price point right now to, 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 to build or buy a 350 and race it, the price point's there. Big block's still too expensive. Sorry. Only so much of the market's going to have a big block. But you can run a 350 super competitively. And they look cool. Top wings and all. I mean, I think it's, you know, but what do I know? I'm just a guy with a radio show. So um, congratulations to Laurie May. And to uh, Danny Sewell and everybody with Isma, I don't I I I hesitate because I really don't want to leave anybody out that would have been instrumental in this, but I think Danny and Lori, I think, are the two driving forces here. This is a meaty schedule. And now you've got cool race names. So, you know, you're building some legacy with the names. Of these races, you're building some branding and some legacy so that each area kind of has its own staple again. That's what it takes. Love seeing this schedule. And the Swiggo schedule is obviously out. So, I mean, John Nicotra has done an amazing job. And good to see Danny Sewell and Laurie May also on the ISMA MSS side to see how far they've come. Over the last couple of years, this is a great schedule. It's, a, it's an exciting time. We need fans to support, and we need teams. If if there's a if this ten thousand to win showing North Carolina does not draw twenty plus cars, it won't look good. Ten thousand to win. It's an on point show. Which is how it should be, in my opinion. But it's ten grand to win. 20 cars should be the goal. If you show up with 10 or 12, it ain't going to look good. It will not look good. So we need participation. We need the teams to go, you know what? It's bigger than me. So... If, you know, if I'm going to run the ISMA schedule, or even if I'm not running the whole schedule, I need to run this race. Because this race in Carolina could be very big. And very important. And, again, you got Davy's show over there. I I don't know. I, that's a long stretch. That's a lot of fuel. A lot of cost to travel. Like I said, it's Thanksgiving weekend. Um, but it's great for the West Coast Supers and as many of the East Coast teams as, as could and will and want to. I think it's great. But we've got one here in Carolina too. So if you're going to only support one of the two, support the ISMA show. And I'm not saying that against Davey's show. I'm saying that we need good support for this Carolina show. And I hope that the NESS cars, I mean, again, there was talk of them coming down here to run their own deal. I haven't heard much more of that, so I don't assume that's happening now at uh, Hickory with uh, the Easter Bunny race for the past late models. But um, the, 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 the show at Caraway is going to be a very important show. We've got a chance here. Opportunities there. What are you all going to do with it? And I'm talking to the, the fans and the teams. Opportunities there. What are you going to do with it? Best schedule is had in years. All huge news. Great, great stuff. Love seeing it all. And I hope Davey's show blows up big as well. Vegas had Vegas going for it. And it was also the beginning of December. Now it's Thanksgiving weekend. And so that's good for travel because you have more time off, but you've made it another half day or so more drive too. So I don't know. I don't know how that's all going to impact. And I imagine, you know, I'm sure Dave, like I said, will probably go out. Um, I'll be curious to see. If the purse for the Supers gets any bigger, right now it's five grand to win as far as I know. That hasn't been increased, but I'm sure I hope at least that Davy's working on it. But that's still going to be an amazing show one way or another, and I'm still going to watch it because of the West Coast Supers. I can't be there now because I I it's Thanksgiving weekend. I have another race I've been doing for twenty three years on Thanksgiving weekend, so can't can't do it, but I can surely watch it. Keep track of it. So, and cover it as much as I can, as much as gets to me and is given to me about it. Happy to, happy to do it. So some big stuff going on in supermodified racing right now. This was a much longer open than I'd planned, but, um, I really am just so excited going into the season. I just am hoping and praying that the teams will now support these shows. Because if they don't, they won't last. Nobody's going to pay big purses if the teams, if we, if for a 10 car, or 12 car show, that's not going to happen. West Coast brought, you know, all but one car to the Vegas show, which again is, it was last minute. It was, you know, all that, right? I understand that. But now it's there. It's going to be, we know it's going to be in California. So we'll see. You know how that'll work out. But we know we got one here in Carolina for big money to win. So I'm excited to help do what I can to get the word out down here. Um, but I I obviously need ISMA to help me do that. They have to get it to me so I can pass it along. So um, hopefully that'll That'll happen. But congratulations. It's awesome. And, and, of course, the Oswego schedule, great again. Classic weekend. Everything's just shaping up to be an amazing 2024. Let's hope that uh, the weather and the economy and all of that work in our favor. And, you know, we don't run into any circumstances that, you know, would be beyond our control. But this looks like it could be a doggone amazing season for super modified racing. So we're excited to be able to be here for all of it and looking forward to talking about it and talking with as many people as we can. And the first one of the year is Brian Kors. And you're going to love this. He's coming up next. So stick around. Inside Groove continues right after this. Hey there, barbecue enthusiasts. Are you tired of boring sauces that leave your taste buds snoozing? Well, I've got something that'll make your mouth water and your ribs shout for joy. Wiggity Wayne Sauces. Wiggity Wayne Sauces brings you a complete line of barbecue sauces, ketchups, and rubs with flavors from mild to wild. They've got everything you need to take your grill game to the next level. Picture this. Juicy, succulent meat slathered in their mouth-watering Habanero sauce, giving it just the right amount of kick. Or how about some lip-smacking kickin' hickory sauce that'll transport your taste buds straight to Flavortown. But wait, there's more. They've got apple pie moonshine sauce that'll have you thinking grandma's cooking up dessert on the grill. And for those who like it bold, their Carolina Bold Sauce will have you shouting "Yeehaw!" haw with every bite. But hold on to your spatulas, folks. They've got an exclusive offer just for you. Visit WiggityWayneSauces.com today and get a mouth-watering 20% off your first order. That's right, 20% off. So don't sleep on this deal, folks. Head on over to WiggitywainSauces.com and let your taste buds go wild with their amazing flavors. Your grill and your belly will thank you. Welcome back to the Inside Groove. And as we kickstart our 2024 season, I cannot think of a nicer gentleman to kickstart it with than the gentleman that we are going to be talking to for the next little while on this show. Uh, Brian, of is not only family to me, but uh, has always been a great friend and uh, really, really enjoy the opportunity to, to talk to Brian about racing or anything else whenever we get the chance. So, uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Um, Brian Kors, for those of you who don't know, um, had in terms of his involvement in racing had a rather brief stint behind the wheel but um there's a lot more to it than that so we're going to talk about all of it brian is a a canadian fellow and we love those around here because i have never met a canadian that um that i haven't liked that hasn't been a genuinely friendly and and uh and and entertaining person so with all that being said Um, Brian, I want to go all the way back and I suspect that the very beginning of your kind of racing memories, I'm going to take a flyer here that they're going to be intertwined with your dad, because I know your dad was a racing fan uh, and, and, and there may be more to it than, than what I don't know. So uh, take me all the way back. How old were you when you first sort of, uh, took a liking to the sport and tell us what what that was about where where did you get introduced to it what was your first uh very beginnings with with your connection to motorsports
1: well first off tommy thank you for the kind words really appreciate that of course getting back r- getting back to the racing component my father uh going back i was like four months old he was a big hard lennox fan so we were traveling all the canadian tracks ah. going all over the place and uh Mom used to warm my water bottle up on the heater of the car when we were at the races on Friday night, so <laughs> it, uh, it goes back quite a ways, and fortunately to this day, um, still stay in touch with Rick Lennox, who's an avid race car fan and supporter as well, and uh, that's how it all began. So from that venue, we kept following the races all over Ontario and occasionally get into Michigan. And then the big venture started when uh, Harv came to Oswego for his first time. Huh. I'm thinking that, that might have been around 1970.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. Wow, that's yeah. been a while. How old were you at that point? Uh,
1: so at, uh, at 70, I was 10.
0: <laughs> wow, okay. All right, so yeah. you have been around a little while in Canada, and you dipped into Michigan. And the uh, first time coming to Oswego to kind of watch Harv run was 10 years old.
1: Yep, exactly. Wow. So that was the venture, and then my father got hooked on us, we go. Uh, <laughs> starting off, he, we, you know, we still had a young family at the time, so there was just my sister and I. So mom and dad used to venture off to classics uh, every year with my aunt and uncle. And uh, as we started to get a little bit older, the visits became more regular. And uh, then getting into, I'm going to say, my – Mid teens, we started uh, going to the races, and that's where we ran into uh, Dave and Audrey McKnight and Davey. Ah, and uh, it's funny—we lived 15 minutes away from one another in Ontario, but we'd see one another every weekend down in Oswego. <laughs> of well, course, yeah. <laughs> well, that that relationship grown, grew. Sorry, and uh, yeah. So then, Mr. McKnight got his late his super modified. And uh, we just fortunately enough, to be close in proximity, we helped out there the best we could and attended a lot more of the races on a regular basis. So
0: So you, um, so your first kind of tinkerings with a race car were with the McKnight number six team that, um, I mean, it's no small feat what that group of people accomplished. To me, it's almost, Legendary um, the, in two years of 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 existence, they won the international classic and then the Oswego Track Championship, basically conquering the two biggest things at that time anyway. That you yeah. could you could they, they they at you know could win at Oswego and they did it. Well, what what um, I know, obviously, you'd been a fan for quite a while, and you know you'd kind of uh, followed Harvard around, but. What what did you learn from um, being with the McKnight team, and what was your role there? I mean, you're obviously young, so you, you probably didn't have a ton of knowledge going into that about the mechanical side, right?
1: And very fortunate that when the car was being built, John Spencer, he did a fantastic job fabricating that car. Yes. And uh, fortunately, he had the patience for young people like us and and uh, Dave McKnight and uh Led us the way, I guess. I'm going to say so. He was uh, he was a great mentor in that capacity and patience over the hill. So it was uh, it was very fortunate to be able to work with him.
0: Well, so you uh, you had the chance to start out with John, and then about mid-season, um, you know, there was a parting of the ways there, and um, this this guy named Warren Conium, who had raced for a little while and done some things, hopped into the car. And yep. as the poet would say, thus began all that. What was it like to, uh, to work with Warren, and, and what was it like to work with John versus Warren? What were some of the, the similarities or differences between the two from your observation as a young member of that team?
1: Well, you know, as Warren is nicknamed the snake, I think that's <laughs> his claim of <to> fame. Yes. <laughs> as far as being able to uh, maneuver through traffic, I don't think there was anybody better. And, uh, there again, the, the relationships, it's funny. Christmas has just passed, but, uh, we were out doing some Christmas shopping and, uh, we went to this mall in Burlington, Ontario. And here's this 82 year old gentleman working very hard at getting his steps in so he can keep staying spry, which he's doing a great job. And, uh, yeah, yeah, had (laughs) had a great conversation with him and caught up in a hurry, but, uh, You know, there again, I think, no disrespect to anybody, but Warren's record kind of speaks for itself. Sure. Um, You know, multi-time classic winner. I, you know, very fortunate to have that relationship with him and growing up with him. It was, uh, geez, I remember Steve Moulton and I one time, we went to the Hamilton Cartways in uh, Hamilton, Ontario, and Ryan was just getting his feet wet in go-karts. And uh, yeah, so... That's the unique thing about racing people in Canada. We try to support everybody the best we can. Okay. And when time time allows, I actually, this is a funny story. We, uh, at the go-kart track, we had a 50-50 raffle, and I was fortunate to win it. Oh, boy. So, uh, yeah, my proceeds went to Ryan so he could con- continue on with the go-kart.
0: <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and look what you helped start with that, ryan's still racing <laughs> yeah no I,
1: I we just we just went as a spectator to cheer him <laughs> on and try to motivate right you yep. got to do that, yep. as well, especially at such a young age at that point in time. But uh, yeah, that was a fun venture as well. But so. what a
0: what a time for you! I would imagine in your teens, in the mid seventies, or I guess we could say maybe toward the later seventies, you know, with the the six team with with Warren. Because again, if you think about where we were in the sort of arc of Oswego and super modified history, you know, right on the verge of. Of course, the, the, the great revolution to the radical offset, but at the same time, still in that, that, that point where you had all of the legends, you know, still in competition in one way or another. Bentley Warren had come back, Swifty was there, yep. Jimmy was there, you know, all of these drivers. Um, I mean, what, would, what that must have been an incredible kind of wide-eyed time for you to be involved with a car.
1: No, it was a great time. It's probably the best time uh, in motorsports ever. I I still say that to this day. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I yeah. just those were that was the golden era. That ten year period there from seventy to eighty to me was the absolute golden era. And I know some folks that are probably a little bit more. Um, uh, chronologic, chronologically challenged than me would include the '60s, and that's obviously got to be uh, a, at least you know true as well. But that just the innovation and 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 the talent and the the the, the personalities that were in the sport. I mean, you know, uh, of course, Kemp Dates uh, built that car, and yes, he did. You know, yeah. and and ended up. Um, You know, he 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 may be the only driver to lose a classic as a driver, but win a classic as an owner uh, at the exact same time. Right. That's uh, was pretty incredible, um, you know, to be able to. So what was your role on the car? Did you have a specific thing that you were in charge of or were you just sort of, a you know, do what we tell you kind of person at that point? Well
1: predominantly it was looking after the fuel okay. and assisting sissing with the, the tires and stagger and stuff like that. So
0: Okay. It was
1: uh it was something that uh was simplistic and allowed me to enjoy watching the races too. <laughs>
0: That's great. And what was your dad did your dad ever actually get more involved than is just a fan?
1: Well, there again, with the with the McKnight team he helped out periodically. He oh, okay. was uh if If we were a a Winston Cup crew he was the uh head chef and bottle washer, so ah. he would he would make sure that everybody was full and had enough food to eat and uh everybody was having a good time so well,
0: that's that's awesome what 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 was the what was the scene like in Canada for the supers at that point I mean, I know there was still racing there back then um it or... was
1: yeah it was it was the Ismus series then they'd show up at Flamborough and then the odd event at Kyuga okay. And uh, those were the two tracks. Oh, and um, Mossport, when they still had the oval, yeah, that was that was an ISMA event as well. Okay, but it was some it was somewhat limited. And uh, did I mention Delaware? Delaware no. was a hot spot and okay. still is, yeah, um, for motorsports. And uh, I believe are they on the ISMA series for this year? I, I don't believe? think so. I don't know that there oh, is okay. a race
0: over there. That's uh, I wish there were. Uh, they just got back into New England, so hopefully maybe yep. Canada will be at some point soon down the road for them. It's, Next
1: time the venue, hopefully. It's got to be hard because,
0: you know, it's. It, there are no – I don't think – I mean, with the exception of two or three that obviously come and race at Oswego, there aren't really any Supers in Canada anymore. you got the Lickies and the Morton McKnight's and uh, – um, I know I'm missing one, 94, um, 95 <laughs> – uh, oh
1: Logan yes
0: Logan ravels um I mean yeah. you got a few of them, but there's really not i mean it's it it seems like the the arc for the super modifieds in Canada was sort of big in the sixties, still kind of big in the seventies, died off a little bit in the seventies, still some in the eighties early, but then it just sort of fell away and became late model country over there is the way it felt like.
1: Actually, the the next big swing here in Canada seems to be the uh, dirt sprint cars. Oh. And they're extremely popular at Ishwigan for the most part. Right. Um, you know, they're, again, what John Nicotra has done for modifieds in the States. Uh, Glenn Stiers in Canada, he has done an amazing job in yeah. helping promote the racing here, too. So.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that because he's been a leader in the live stream space, too. Um, and, you know, Land of Legends, which was Canandaigua Speedway in New York uh, before uh, the dirt track there, they've kind of followed that that business model for live streaming, and they've got a free live stream that gets over 10,000 unique views every Saturday night for their races. It's pretty incredible how they've done that. Yeah. And, um, I think Ash Weekend was their kind of mentor, so to speak for that.
1: Well, there again, credit to Glenn, because, yeah. uh, as far as the racetrack goes, I, I think he's been promoter of the year. How many times it's, wow. uh, it's quite the record that he's established. So good for him.
0: So what, once, uh, I mean, obviously it was a short stint for the McKnight team and, 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 um, I, I don't really know exactly. I think Dave Jr. kind of talked about it a little bit um, when he was on a while back with us. But um, at once, once, uh, once the McKnight team was over with, um, where did you go from there? Because I feel like I remember it wasn't a whole long time after that that you ended up with a yellow T-shirt on every week, right? Very much so. Yeah, talk so, Dave, about that. Yes.
1: As you alluded to, Davey started his career with the Canam midgets back in Canada, so he wasn't going to Oswego on a regular basis. No. But uh, we, as a family, still continued on, and uh, it's pretty ironic, you know. You, you uh, we go there all the time, and we were fortunate enough to know Jim Fralido. So, because of economics and and what the economy was facing at the time, he was kind enough to allow us to leave our motor home at his farm. Okay. And we, and we'd commute back and forth every weekend in the car. Ah, <laughs> so, gotcha. so then we'd get to the racetrack and, uh, the first couple of weeks we were just standing around, not doing anything. And then fortunately was able to, uh, develop a rapport with Doug and Tommy and Mr. Hevron And, uh, started a relationship with them, and that that was another great relationship as well.
0: What was that like? Because there again, I feel like, and, and again, you know, the listeners, it, it, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about Doug or Tom or whatever. The the, the the question that I'm asking you here is that when I look at both Dave McKnight Sr. and I look at Tom Hevron, both of them approached their racing as a business. So they, they looked at it like, you know, parts or expenses and if we need to replace them that's a necessary you know that kind of thing i feel like it was not a hobby for either of them if they were going to do it they wanted to do it to the very best that they could and i you know i feel like that's kind of how tom ran that that outfit there um again the learning opportunities for you and the um opportunities to observe how things are done. Talk a little bit about what your role was with that group and how that sort of played out.
1: Well, there again, you, you touched on it and in both gentlemen handled it in that capacity as you alluded yes. to, as far as a business. And there's a lot of, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of that, um, philosophy and work ethic that I incorporated in my personal life as far yeah. as a career. And uh, both of them were great mentors. Um, both of them were extremely honest. And uh, in this day and age, I I could not appreciate that more. Um, it was a situation that you knew where you stood, and uh, there was no politics. It was black and white. And uh, you didn't have to worry about a lot of the nonsense that was behind the scenes because you knew where you stood. So. Those were some of the traits that I took into my work life as well, and uh, I'd like to think that they helped me along the way with that as well. But getting back to the racing component, you're absolutely right. Everything was attention to detail, you, uh, especially in the situation with Doug, and I can appreciate Mr. Heveron's philosophy with that, is that it was his son that was in the car, and yep. there was nothing going to be going wrong with that car to hurt his son so the uh, the attention to detail, the weekly maintenance programs it was all top notch
0: it seemed that way now. what was your role with with that group? Was it much the same as what you were doing with McKnight as far as fuel and all that, or what, what... Yeah, for
1: the for the most part, it was there again. I was the guy that was out of town, so I'd show up on holidays, or if there was a Canadian statutory holiday or something like that, stay down longer to try to help out. Okay. But uh, being four hours and 250 miles away, it was pretty tough to uh, be there every night to try to help them out. So it was more of a weekend, uh, extended holiday situation where we'd get together. And, you know, part of the part of the unique thing about racing is, it's not only about the racing, it's about the relationships. Yes. And, and when you you know when you can say that all these people are your friends, I tip my hat to them and I thank them for that.
0: I think uh, for you, wasn't it? Isn't that how you met Patty? I mean that that I think you <laughs> exemplify that, don't you?
1: <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think so. So, uh, I'm trying to I was must have been Uh, 83 (laughs) when the uh, exact scenario was a role reversal uh, Doug ran out of fuel
0: that's (laughs) right yeah
1: and and Eddie ended up winning the classic that's right well that was uh, that was great for some conversation especially at the Heveron's house when uh, (laughs) you're a Heveron fan and, and you're Girlfriend is a bellinger fan,
0: well, <laughs> oh, I don't remember that. I didn't remember that Patty. I always remember as being a Swifty fan, so she must have adopted Eddie when no one uh, retired but retired uh, yeah, yeah, must yeah. have been
1: okay. so anyways it was <laughs> it was quite the unique scenario, so and I can still remember <laughs> yeah. Mr. Heveron teasing Patty to this day so it was a lot of a lot of fun <laughs> and uh a lot of good times,
0: so. yeah, for sure so so the relationship is definitely key, but what um i and, and speaking of that i mean you you must have been about the same age as doug then, right
1: uh yeah, I'm a year older actually okay so that was that was the big joke tommy was uh the big brother, I was the middle brother, and Doug was the little brother, so yeah, it was. Uh, we had a lot of good times. Today. And at some That's point,
0: true. then you got uh, oldest brother Bentley mixed in there. Now I want to know, from yeah. your point of view, what that dynamic was like being in the being on the team when Bentley and Doug were both together, because. Um, I can only imagine that that those two, because um, I've seen enough of them together over the years, those two are just a comedy show all in, a, in and of themselves. What was that like? That watching that and being a part of that between the two of them?
1: No, nope, you touched on it. It was it was nothing but fun. Let me tell you, it, there were a lot of great <laughs> situations, both on the track and away from the track, that the memories of of those two and allowing us to be a part of that it was it was amazing <laughs> do
0: you do you have a particular story or moment that you could share with us that that uh that kind of sticks out with during that time cuz i mean i just have to believe that it was uh it was a laugh a minute until of course it, it came down to you know, time to go racing, and then I, I mean, I watched in '83. That was the first year that I was able to get in the pits, and I remember just watching. You know, the 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 whole sort of tone of everything changed when it came down to race time. But what uh, do you have a do you have a, a, a memory or two about about all of that with with well, those just
1: guys? just uh, going back to that era? I believe that's when the the radios were still allowed. Yes. Out. yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So there were a lot of. Uh, conversations that I wouldn't be able to repeat. <laughs> 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 but there was uh, a lot of joking, even at that point in time. So it was, uh, as you said, when the when it came time for racing, they got on with the program, but during and before and practice and things like that, it was nothing but the utmost of fun.
0: Yeah, so. I mean, and the thing is, it's like... Um... You know, you look back, and I think, I mean, racing is like any other sport. I guess when you're a fan, it's very intense. You really want your driver to win, and and you, you know, I I can I can wholly appreciate, you know, just as an observer, and and, and you know, and whatever why somebody would would not have you know cared for for the Hevrons at the time, and because they were. You know they were basically beating up on everybody pretty much on a weekly basis, and they had resources that not everybody had, and they were able to. They're all those things, and I think in that moment, you know, in those moments of time, it becomes you know fans then decide, well, we want the underdog. We don't. These people don't. They're they should be in India or somewhere, not here. And I and I kind of look at all of that. Looking back from you know sort of a ten thousand foot overview and go I get it um, mm-hmm. but in that moment in in that time period and and, and 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 you know our family was friends with the Heverons too and we you know it wasn't that I didn't like anybody else but I, that was and and for me part of it was that Doug was a protege of Jimmy's who was my hero and you know and right. so it kind of but looking at it 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 um it had to be sort of Interesting for you, and especially now that uh, we realize that you and Patty were on opposite ends of what obviously was the real divide there, which was the Heverons, the Bellingers. You know, looking back on it now, um, you know, that had to be quite an eye-opening experience for you to go through for two or three years.
1: Well, I always claim that I kept the peace together at uh, Oswego Speedway between the Bellingers and (laughs) the (laughs) Yeah, there you
0: go. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's kind of like it was it, it that had to be, and I'm sure it again you know you say Tom used to tease Patty, but like that that was sort of uh, you were a Hatfield marrying a McCoy at that moment, <laughs> you' were getting going out with a McCoy at that moment. It's like, no, you can't do that, um, that's really funny now that i now that oh. I understand that that's funny.
1: They were always supportive, yeah. that's for
0: sure. Yeah, it's, I mean, and in the end, it, you, you know, you look back and now, you know, everybody's kind of over it. And, you know, and Doug, everybody appreciates Doug now, and that's good. And, and, and of course, everybody still loves Eddie, and that's good, too, because they should. Um, you know, it's. Uh, it was quite the time. Well, then eventually... Um, you know, you, it's interesting because you say you were kind of the peacekeeper. You you kind of had this, this this arc here so far, now that I'm thinking about it. You went to work for McKnight, and in two years they were gone. You went to work for Hebron, and in about three or four years they were gone. Like, um, you know, now what do you do? Uh, because you had short stints with two of the best teams to ever be assembled for co- competition at the Oswego Speedway. What do you do post Hevron uh, involvement there. Where did you go from there?
1: Well, I had to start checking off a few things on my bucket list. So we came back to Canada. Okay. Um, in 85, we got married, Patty and I. We came back to Canada, and I uh, started to venture off with my quarter midget, my TQ midget.
0: Oh, was it that quickly? I didn't remember exactly what the timing was. Okay, so you... Yeah,
1: well, there's there's a few few years in between, but anyways, okay. yeah.
0: Okay, so... so in between, did you just kind of uh, you weren't really involved with anybody specifically until you in that period between the Haverons and getting your TQ?
1: Well, that was yeah. For the most part, that's how it unfolded, and uh, okay, we went we went to the races on occasion. Um, we you know there again, I'd go walk around the pits, but I at that time that's when I had the aspirations of starting to get the TQ. Okay, so uh, yeah, started to focus my attention on that. And uh, with the good help from Steve Moulton and Keith Dempster and Dave McKnight, we built the TQ Midget and uh, had a lot of fun with that. When did
0: you start racing that? Do you remember what year
1: it was? uh, I want to say that it was 2003.
0: Oh, wow. So there was a long, long period of time between – you know, eighty three, eighty four. And, oh, and, sorry,
1: that was, no, that I, I fibbed. Oh. I was. I, <laughs> see that I'm getting older. The years are starting to increase. <laughs> I was going to say because that anticipate. seemed. Yeah. yeah
0: okay. Because I, I mean, I remember being a part of that whole thing. I mean, like as yeah. a fan and uh, whatever. And I know I knew it wasn't because I'm like I wasn't even up there in that. Okay. Okay.
1: So it was. It was. I uh, was the. Uh, rookie of the year in 1992 in the there we go okay okay so that that helps put it in perspective so it wasn't it wasn't that long
0: (laughs) why the tqs why the decision to go there i mean i back in then it did seem like kind of a great way to go from a to b to get into super modified start with a tq but why it was
1: i i just there again it was the different relationships that i had along the way so at the time in my my professional world i worked for a transportation company and bobby crawford worked there who was racing a tq midget and ah. keith dempster worked there who was racing the tq midget and Davey oh, okay. was around with his tq midget so it was more of the uh challenges and the opportunities of racing with my friends so it was uh yeah, it was a great introduction. So. so,
0: when you got the TQ, where were you? I mean, we'll get to the Niagara Falls stuff because I wanted that. I feel like that's a whole other conversation piece. But um, uh-huh. a, aside from the indoor shows, which are legendary uh, and still are, but I don't think it's quite as cool as it was back at the falls. But 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 talk about where were TQs racing back then, and what was the what were the numbers and because it, it, I I feel like that was a golden era at that time for mm-hmm. TQs too.
1: You're absolutely right. So the you know at the time it was a, it was a traveling circus. We'd race at Flamborough, Sunset, Peterborough, uh, Lancaster. Um, for the most part, those were the predominant tracks. Okay. And and at the time, the TQ Midget, they were up to thirty-five to forty cars per event. Yeah. So it was it was a very strong group of cars, and competition was keen. And uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. So.
0: How did you adapt? What were the first because you had never it wasn't as if you grew up racing go karts or any of of that sort. How did you what was it like for you to transition from fueling the car to actually turning the steering wheel?
1: So going back to the Niagara Falls indoor show, there was a there was a bet going on between myself and Dave McKnight and if I uh, Oh boy. <laughs> I was, I was a little chunky back then, so the, the bet was is if I lost 30 pounds and if I could fit in his car, I could take it out for warm-ups. Uh-huh. So that came to fruition, and uh, it was actually funny. I, I ended up uh, taking his car out for the first practice, and the only way I could fit in the car is if I took my shoes off, so I could hit the <laughs> reach the gas pedals and not... Have my toes rubbed through the hood of the car, so it was uh, it was kind of ironic, but that was a lot of fun, and that's what got the itch going where we that that uh, year is when we started building the car and having it ready for the following year. So the first event, was at Niagara Falls <laughs> Convention Center.
0: Oh, everybody wow. thought
1: I was yeah. Everybody let's thought start? I was crazy, but wow. it was yeah. It was uh, the car was built and Steve says, "Well, let's try it." Steve Moulton and he says, "Let's try it." And I said, "Yeah, okay." So uh, <laughs> it, uh, it it turned out to be uh, quite the experience, that's for sure. So.
0: I want to make a note here for the listeners that we have barefoot Bob McCready, and apparently we also have barefoot Brian Kors. Yeah, uh, very much so. For at least an evening. That's that's very <laughs> yeah. funny. Um, okay, so you decide to show up to what I would consider to be the TQ Classic or the All-Star Race. Uh, your biggest, yeah. The Super Bowl for TQs is, is where Brian's going to start his career as a driver. So talk about that first night. What was that like?
1: Well, first off, I was very fortunate that Bentley was driving for Harry Macy at the time. Uh-huh.
0: The 9 car. And
1: exactly, and because of the relationship that we had, he was kind enough to uh every time he was going out for practice, he'd give me a little wave and kind of like, "Hey, come follow me." So, uh oh,
0: good luck we, with that. <laughs> yeah, we
1: t- we took it we took advantage of that situation and uh he helped with some finer points as far as getting around, so it was it was the first my very first race indoors, and I got to start on the pole.
0: <laughs> That's funny, and and I was probably there looking back because because we there were you know, my brother and I and you know, we all used to go to as many of those as we could. I was probably there. I don't yeah. remember it though, but seeing you knowing that you started on the pole, and again <laughs> here again this is the biggest like this is close quarters like it's. And you're starting on the pole, what's going through your mind when you go? Well, this, this is
1: this is the best part. My good friend Dave McKnight is starting outside of
0: oh, me. How, <laughs> how perfect right
1: So there's no way he's going to beat me going into the corner. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've heard that before, and it, so, and it hasn't yeah. ended well.
1: <laughs> well, fortunately, I got stopped in time, but I saw the the uh, foundation of the brick wall at the end of the corner, fast <laughs> approaching, <Yeah. laughs> as as Dave slammed on the brakes and drove underneath me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's where the experience <laughs> paid off, right? We exactly, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Wow. So, yeah, that was a big joke. It's like, well, at least I beat you going into the corner.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I beat you into the corner if not coming out. Yeah.
1: So, That's and funny. the the night the night ended up I finished 6th in the B main. So, I was quite happy with that and the car was still in one piece. So, could come back to race another day <laughs> for sure.
0: And, and you did, you raced TQs for a little while. Um, and, 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 uh, and I know you really enjoyed it. Talk about, give us some highlights. There's some, you know, kind of, uh, talk about your career a little bit. How long did you actually run those cars?
1: I ran it for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, the first year, I believe I was like 12th in points out of the some 40 cars that were there. And that's what enabled me to win rookie of the year. And then the next year, we moved up a couple of positions, seven, seventh or eighth in points. And uh, it was at that time that I was hoping that I'd have an opportunity to try to run a super modified.
0: As one so that, does at that point, yeah, I'm running a TQ, and you know, Dave McKnight, Keith Dempster. I mean, you know, yeah. there's a list of of those, right, uh, Sammet you know, that all came out of the TQs. So now Brian is getting the itch to step up and run with the big boys in the supers. So take us forward.
1: Well, and there again, it was at that point in time that, uh, we were able to develop a relationship with Ralph. Ralph McLaughlin is a 48 and, uh, it worked out great. When we would come to Oswego, my wife could go visit with her parents and I'd go work on the race cars and we'd end up going to the races and, both of us would have a great time. So the development and the rapports that uh, were established with Ralph and his family were fantastic, and uh, it was a great opportunity.
0: Now, I want to talk about this because I remember back then you shared with me a piece of wisdom that um, that I've actually never forgotten, and I've I've actually taught it and shared it with a lot of a lot of racers, um, since then, because it wasn't like you came from a situation where you could just, you know, write checks for unlimited amounts and here, Ralph, let's go get this, let's go get that. And let's go racing. You got pretty creative with your sponsorship and your marketing in terms of, you know, cash product if you, you know, talk about how, because I remember you saying, I would literally take almost anything, and if I didn't need it, I would sell it, and there's the cash to put toward racing. Talk a little yeah. bit about the, the ingenuity of that, because I'm not so sure that back then everybody was so creative and even right now i still think that's great advice in a lot of ways so talk about all of that from a, a business perspective how you approach that to be able to have your dream of racing the super
1: well it was it gets back to the situation my wife and i had an agreement i could i could race all i want as long as it didn't affect our personal income money sure. so that's where the marketing component came from and yeah there again i i worked you know me well enough, Tom. I'm not afraid to talk to anybody. No. it's a family. It's a family trait. We share that. And uh, yeah, and uh, if if you sit there and you you're fortunate enough to get in the door of a of a potential sponsor, you just listen and see what they have to offer, and if they have anything, regardless of what it is, yeah, as you alluded to, it all could be turned around if it was a product that we needed. Um, that was. That was great. If it was something that we could use to, for example, I had uh, a company, uh, a tool company sponsor me. Well, he couldn't give me anything monetarily, um, but he would be kind enough to give me a tool chest. Well, a tool chest is, is uh, pretty expensive this day and age, uh-huh. and uh, with the help of my wife and my mom and my dad and everybody. We would, we would have a raffle, so we'd raffle off the tool chest. Well, the revenue that was generated from a situation like that, it, it, uh, the tool chest had a value of probably like $4,000, and we probably generated close to 10000 There you go. So, yeah, you're halfway there, right? And uh, another gentleman I went to approach, um, he, uh, he was a, a T-shirt salesperson. And uh now there again he didn't give me them but he was kind enough to uh front the money and we did up our t shirts and at the time I think the t shirts were costing us six bucks and we were selling them for ten. So my mom was the king of marketing in that capacity and she sold a lot of those shirts. And uh <laughs> you know, there again that generated another six thousand dollars. So you get a couple situations like that and uh It really helps in flipping the bills for all the expenses in the races.
0: Yeah, and I mean, what's interesting to me is I feel like if I look at it in 2024 and take that same strategy, with the availability of things like Facebook Marketplace, I feel like you probably could have talked your way and sold your way right to the top in NASCAR or IndyCar.
1: (laughs) Well, it's... You know, there again, that's another great tool that we have today that wasn't yeah, around when we exactly. were racing. But anyways, it was yeah. it was doing what we had to do to uh, yeah. to race. And, you and had a fortune, yeah, yeah. So, and it it seemed to work.
0: Okay, so now I want to talk about the experience of driving the car because you go from a TQ where you had some some moderate success and you were you were comfortable in it and you could race with the big boys and you then you you come out. Um, And now you're in a super modified and um, and you're running against uh, again in in that era, you know, the best of the best on a weekly basis. What I want to know what it felt like the very first time you got into the super modified and took it onto the track.
1: Well, you're going to laugh at this, but the first time out in the car, I was going down the front straightaway so slow that the car was vibrating so bad. (laughs) What the hell did I get into? And then fortunately, as we got through the night the first night, we started going a little faster, and things started to seem a little smoother and uh, <laughs> we were starting to get a handle on it so <laughs> that is the
0: irony though with those cars is that you know they the a lot of race cars that's how that they they need to be driven fast in order to in order to handle the, the best way yeah. but boy, the courage is sometimes the hardest thing to get, right. <laughs>
1: absolutely
0: (laughs) you know everybody thinks it's easy until they actually get out there and they realize i mean you know we just we had joe hawksby on not long ago and he was talking about how he'd sit in the stands and say well gosh i could do it better than these guys and then you know he got out there and i asked him i said well how long did it take after you first got on the track to realize this was harder than it looked he goes about half a lap
1: yep absolutely <laughs> so, He's so not <laughs> talk
0: about that talk about what it was like I mean how do you what what do you remember about that and and the experience of it and you know that whole period of time of racing the super because again, at that point, I'm assuming um and I don't know that we ever talked about it, really, but I'm assuming that that was your dream, like you had no aspirations of you know, going bigger, uh, IndyCar, NASCAR, it wasn't, it didn't seem to be on your radar. You, this was it for you. You were in a Swiggo Speedway racing a Super. What do you remember about that?
1: Well, and, and uh, just to give you some insight, at the time, even when I started racing the Midget, I was like 32 years old. So That's right. time, yeah. father time was not on my oh, yeah, side at that old, point in right. time. Yeah. So, so, you know, as you alluded to, yeah, the Super Modified, it was something that we, you know, we had followed for so, so long, and it was just an aspiration to try it. To try it. And uh, so we had a couple years in it, and, uh, you know, I wish the results were a little bit better, but that happens, and I'm okay with it. I, you know, as I said, it was a item on my bucket list, and I was able to scratch it off, so... Uh, all pride aside it was uh i felt good that i had the opportunity to do it for sure but but realize that maybe at that point in time i was a little bit out of my league so
0: well and you know just the humility to be able to say that is is you know is notable because it's hard to 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 be able to realize and, and to admit that you know maybe you know And like you said, it really, I don't think, because I don't believe anyone's born to race. I don't, I don't, I've, I, I just feel like that's a skill that can be developed, but you, you know, again, like you said, you know, father time maybe wasn't quite in sync with what you were trying to do, but you, you had a great time and you did it the right way. And, you know, and, and we're, we're able to to achieve that goal that, that so many other people would have given their, and still would, give their eye tooth to be able to do, and you were fortunate enough to do it. Did you, um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm i sure the answer probably will be a swiggle, but I know you ran other tracks during that time. What what are your memories of, because I think one of the coolest things, and you, I'm sure you, you did it with the TQ too, is traveling around and going to different tracks. And as a driver, I would think, you know, you naturally developed tracks you enjoyed. Tracks maybe not quite so much. Um, mm-hmm. What was there? Were there some tracks that you really enjoyed running with the wing with the, with Ralph's car?
1: Actually, yeah, it was uh, Jennerstown was a fantastic oh, facility. Yeah. We had a great time there. Uh, did really well. We raced the. Uh, Track at Moshport with the wing. Yep. And uh, actually, that was the first ISMA race that I was able to qualify for. Oh, wow. And uh, kind of ironic, sitting there uh, at the races was my mom in the stands, and she'd never, never watch me race. She always stayed at the trailer for whatever reason. She didn't want to see what was going on. Too
0: nervous.
1: So, too nervous. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, it was at Mossport. I was coming out of turn four and got on it a little too quick and spun it out and my, <laughs> I turn around and I look up and there's my mom sitting right in front of me with her head in her hand (laughs) and she finally lifted her head up and uh, I gave her a little wave.
0: (laughs) I'm okay, mom.
1: I just just
0: spun. It's okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're all good. So, but yeah, and, uh, I enjoyed racing at Sandusky. That was a lot of fun. It's, it's, like I said before, it's all about the camaraderie with the different competitors that it was all about. So Yeah,
0: for sure. Uh,
1: you know, at the end of the night when you're when you finished racing and uh, you get to sit back and relax and review and reminisce, and it's all that camaraderie that made it worthwhile.
0: Yes, and back then I feel like it was, you know, and I and I, I – I, I, I'll try to say this as positively as I can. I feel like back then, that camaraderie, the level of it between the competitors was probably at its peak in, in, that, in that era. Um, and yeah. it was just so much fun to be a part of. Um, I have a memory in my head of um, Classic Weekend. Uh, and I think it would have probably been maybe the first year, but it could. I, I don't know if you if you had the opportunity to race for multiple classics or not with Ralph, but I think it was the first year. I remember, and maybe it was just before the uh, Bud Light B Main or whatever, or maybe one of the. But it was on Sunday, and I I have this memory of 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 sort of being I I, I, I was there in the pit and i remember just looking at you and and you just had you were in the car and your hands were on the wheel no helmet yet you 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 had this sort of focused just i mean as i can you talk about a little bit as a driver because We all know it as fans or, you know, media or whatever. We all have our own little roles that we play in the classic weekend experience. But can you talk about from a driving standpoint, and especially in your situation, because you were not in a position where it was a, you know, a lead pipe cinch that you were going to make the classic, right? You had to, to work for it. And what was that like as a driver? It just looked like. You know, at no point, I don't want to say that you were scared or even nervous, but you just had that look like this is serious business. And I didn't dare approach you at that point because, like, I understood, okay, he's thinking. And what is it like as a driver? What was that like for you to go through as a driver? Um, Because I've got to believe it changes your opinion or your sort of understanding of how much classic weekend really means.
1: So, and you touched on it, it's a thought process, right? You're trying to put yourself in every best position possible, Mm -hmm. and and your focus uh, on the attention is is what you're going to try to achieve as far as going forward. So, in your mind, and I'm sure thousands of people have said this, but you're just playing that race over and over in your mind, over and over again, you know? If I'm in this situation how am I going to handle it if I'm in another situation what's the best way to get out of it Things of that nature as far as just the utmost attention it uh you know you you certainly do need to have your wits about you and it's all about the pickup points and your competitors and you want to be fast but on the same token you don't want to put yourself or anybody else in a bad way it uh it's just the utmost attention and uh trying to work with what you've got to work with. So,
0: were you were you able to qualify for the classic?
1: No, I was the bubble car. Oh, for the classic. So, wow. Yeah, unfortunately, but uh, that happens. So, Yeah.
0: Well, in in the way that I would with the next the next thing I would say to that is you know what, it that there's there's probably that's probably about the hardest thing to be because you know how close you were, but on the other hand, you know, you look up in the grandstand and realize how many other people would probably like to have been in the position just to get to that point. Right. So um, what a, what a, what a, an opportunity that was for you. And, and again, the, the way that you did it by being creative marketing wise and understanding how to sort of play that game a little bit, um, you know, is, is what helped you to, um, to achieve those dreams. So once that was over for you, um, I mean, you obviously, the, I think if I remember correctly, the driving days were done. So we talk about, you know, are you back now? Just, I mean, I know now you are, but were you back at that point to just kind of being a fan? Did you get involved with any more teams? You know, kind of what, what, what has life been like racing wise for you since then?
1: Yeah. So basically it's the odd, odd, race at oswego i was fortunate enough to get down to classic this year yeah um so that was that was a fun experience just there again being able to reminisce with everybody that yes. uh was was there and it, it seems like classic always brings up the best and the most of people at that point in time and yep. they're coming from all over the place so you know our our racing community they are so so unique they and, are uh, i i say this all the time you know you can you can talk to somebody one day, not see one another for a year, and when you finally get to catch up with them again, you pick up a conversation just like it was yesterday. Yeah, for sure. And that doesn't doesn't matter who it is. So we're very fortunate as a a group of people to have that luxury, and uh, hopefully everybody gets to appreciate it.
0: What would you say to a younger driver coming into the sport now – in a position similar to yours back then, where, okay, we don't have, uh, and obviously there would be an age difference, but we don't have a million dollars here to do what we're doing. What what would you say to a younger driver about trying to come in, and I'm not talking NASCAR or IndyCar, but just, again, it's, kind of the level you were at, what would you advise of them to do?
1: It's, it's all about seat time. You know, if it's something that you desire, if you're able to get into it early enough, it uh, get out there and just run as many laps as you possibly can, and uh, your success will will grow from that. Those experiences, it uh, the more seat time you get, the better you get. There's no ifs ands or buts about it.
0: Now, you actually, I don't think you still do, but you worked for at least a period of time with Brad Liddy, right, for his trucking company.
1: I did, yeah. Talk about uh, that. Well, helped him out. Uh, I was the uh, general sales manager for the company, but being a small being a small company, you have to wear a lot of different hats. So, it uh, no, it there again. It proved out to be well, and it was during that area when Brad bought Kiuga, and I I assisted him with the uh, sales and marketing of the racetrack, and actually we had some pretty good success considering the short amount of time that. he had bought the track, so at the time they had the uh, Pinty series cars there, and we were able to secure some sponsorship with Ford, and uh, that helped pay for a couple different events throughout the course of the year. Um, yeah, the, the, uh, the marketing aspect, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoy meeting people. Um, when you have a product that you believe in and that you're able to sell, it makes it easy, For Sure. and uh, it was it was that that in itself was a lot of fun as well. So,
0: you had a you had in in its own way. I feel like you had a very fulfilling um, racing career. Uh, it, where you know, in many different aspects, and and the relationships and the friendships that you were able to build in that time, so many of them obviously have carried forward. Are there are there folks that you still kind of keep in touch with on a regular basis. Um, talk about
1: that. Yeah. All the time. As you alluded to, Facebook's a wonderful tool. Yes. Um, you know, all of the relationships that I have and there are so many good pages on Facebook as far as the speedway and different people that are members of it that, uh, yeah, conversations are ongoing daily. It's, uh, it's a wonderful tool. It's great. I got to tell one story when you were talking about the the Brad scenario please so so Davey was driving for Brad at the time and Eikster was just getting Mike like he was just getting his feet wet okay and uh, we went to race at Toledo oh wow so uh, yeah so it was pretty ironic so there again Davey being the lead car he was getting all the attention and I was there supporting Mike at the time and we had old rubber Brad had your Davey had new rubber and uh Mike ended up beating Davy in the oh, rain. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went up I went up to Brad and Davy were there and I said, Well, there's your dollar cost averaging for you. I said, Who made more money?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well you know I'll tell you, um, and I think a lot of our listeners will agree when I say that those two in terms of what I would call pure ability and and also lack of fear of um, those two <laughs> yeah. may have been perhaps one of the all-time best two-car teams in the history of super modified racing because dave was a legend and still is i mean you give dave a car that can go in he's still going to get it done um, and and uh, and mike obviously same way um i mean that was another team that probably because they were running isma most of that time and, and really, you know, Isma, it just doesn't get the same shine as Oswego did for most of the same period. It, yep. They really don't get the recognition, but that team was an all-star team.
1: No, I would agree wholeheartedly. It was uh, a lot of hard work went into that. Um, there again, it was treated as a business in Brad's eyes as well. Yep. And there, there's that factor coming back yep. to fruition, right? Yep. But, uh Yeah, no. He when he spent money, he spent it in the right way. So I I remember one weekend we went down to the Isma race in North Carolina, and uh, Brad couldn't make it. And uh, we had some guide rules before (laughs) before we left to get down to the racetrack. And um, there again, I remember I was on my phone on the Saturday night, and I'm calling Brad, and I said, "You know what? I said we got to spend the money on a tire." (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and i knew it was his money and i there again i was wanting his blessings i'm just not going to spend the money foolishly but he says well if that's what's going to take then go do it right so it go. was uh yeah so having to use common sense in those situations too
0: well for sure and and uh there again i you know uh <laughs> I mean, you just think of what you have been fortunate enough to be a part of. I mean, Supers and NASCAR country, the times that that's happened, uh, and I've, I've been a part of a lot of that because I, I, I'm here. Um, you know, that's, that's just – that was the craziest thing ever. in those shows at Concord and even mm-hmm. at, you know, the other – the original two shows, which I had the good fortune of, of calling – um, at, uh, and I don't even remember the, the, the two tracks we were at back in the early nineties, but, um, those shows were just amazing shows and the fans down here just eat them up. So, um, yeah, but imagine, you know, again, like, you know, Hey, we need a tire. I mean, you know, like you said, common sense and yet he's the boss. So you want to make sure that you get the approval and, you know, and all of that. And, and, and I will say this too. And, um, you know, I remember when Brad and Dennis, because that goes back to the early 70s when they first started racing, and I always thought both of them were good racers. They, It was almost like, again, you know, by the time, you know, there was sort of the the resources to have a competitive car, you know, it was a little probably pricier than they wanted for two cars, and so it was like swap back and forth, and then all of a sudden, here comes Lichty, you know, as a team. And they become this this incredible organization that, as you said, again, business wise, and Brad wasn't driving anymore. He's got other drivers in the car, but oh my gosh, they were winning. And um, mm-hmm. I mean how much of that were you sort of aware of and, and, and what you know what um, what was sort of the, the 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 transition from Brad, you know, to get out of the seat but then build this two, three car team um, that just went out and kicked butt for a long, long time, and still can when it's running. So going back, my
1: my friendship with Brad has gone on for quite a long time. I had the chance; he still had the Rutledge Rocket car. Um, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, so I was just a young kid, and we went to a race in Kalamazoo. So our okay. relationship is long and well established. So going fast forward, when when uh, the relationship with Davey and Brad came together, uh, I'm going to kind of toot my horn here and say that I was fortunate enough to persuade Brad into putting Davey into the car for Classic.
0: Oh, okay. So, Good job.
1: You know, well, it was, you know, there again, he, he wasn't real fond of racing a Swiggle, and uh, he still had the car, and Davey had just lost his ride. So I said, you know what, it's classic time. I said, maybe Davey can help with some funding or something like that, but give it a try. And uh, so that came together for the first classic and unfortunately something broke on the car. So Brad was kind of feeling bad because it was uh, uh, not a driver error, it was more like a mechanical error. And then uh, he offered Davey the ride again at another track. I can't remember exactly what it was, but anyways. And that was the that was the beginning of that relationship as well. So okay, it was it was uh, good for Brad. It allowed him to race when they wanted to, and uh, I'm going to say that Mike was getting a good education. He was racing go karts at the time, and there again, it helped his experience and the learning of. I got to hand it to Davey. He, from a fabricator standpoint, he's amazing, and he does a really good job. So I'm sure there's a lot of points that Mike picked up. Along the way, from working with Davey and building the different cars and things of that nature, so it uh, it was a win win for everybody.
0: Mike's so. had a great career as well, and I and I know that in in sort of a um, a bit more of a distant way but yet still a part of it Ryan Conium has driven for Brad quite a lot um, mm-hmm. you know two of the top young drivers to and and again um, I know you know both of them you've watched both of them run you've you know probably worked with both of them in different ways in those times um, talk about Mike and, and Ryan a little bit
1: you're absolutely right as far as motorsports um, we couldn't have better representation And both those young men, they do a great job. Uh, They're both very humble, and uh, they're very appreciative of the opportunities that they get. As far as a competitive standpoint, yes, they are both very, very aggressive.
0: Yes, for sure. (laughs) They're
1: they're not a. They're not afraid to stand on the loud pedal, as they say, and. no, just fortunate to have relationships with both of them
0: where is uh what do you know i mean i think because uh, we i feel like um we've sort of lost mike a little bit in 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 the in the um ecosphere here um you know still runs some races but it seems like um brad's involvement and mike's involvement in super modified racing has become less uh to a degree um you know, what Where what do you know about where that all is right now?
1: So my understanding, uh, I know that Mike was trying to get a, uh, another transportation company up and running. Oh, wow. And I, believe, and I believe that's coming full forward. And obviously, transportation industry requires a lot of time and dedication sure if you're going to make a go of that. So uh, I believe that might be a little bit more of the focus. Um, I know that just before the season ended... Uh, Mike Lichty was trying a sprint car, and he, he uh, borrowed the likes of Steve Moulton and went for some practice laps. It was, it was a closed-track session okay. uh, where they were here at Humberview, uh, or Humberstone, sorry, trying okay. to, yep. uh, just trying to get some laps in to see if he can get a feel for it. So that might be a little bit of a direction. I, you know There again, time is precious, and uh, if you're trying to run a, a transportation company, uh, You've got to be pretty much hands-on all the time. So maybe in the next chapter, and this is just me surmising, might be a little bit more dirt track racing, which is close to home and a uh, little, little bit cost uh, sensitive. So that might be a little bit more of the direction, but that's just me talking and uh, doing some big picture thinking. So
0: Well, it would make sense. That's the direction Ryan Conium ended up going in, and who would have ever believed that that young man would end up as a crew chief for a NASCAR cup series team. How amazing is that for you to think about?
1: No, absolutely incredible. It sure is. It was, uh, when it, when the whole thing transpired, uh, I, I was taken back. It was, it was such a great thing to see and great opportunity. And, uh, it, uh, well, I think he was racing with your friend, too, wasn't he? He was the crew chief for him.
0: Well, yes, Regan Smith. Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Regan Smith, yeah. Regan for sure. So, yep, I think so. and they set the stage for the success, I, I'm, I, I say... They set the stage for the success that later on Kurt, B- uh, Kurt Bush had in that car, the Martin Truex. And ironically enough, Truex's biggest years came with Cole Pern as his crew chief. Was Father yeah. Ron, of course, they're Canadians. Father Ron actually raced a Super Modified and ran a Swiggle a couple of times in the earlier yeah. 70s.
1: And he actually, uh, I believe, one of his first Super Modifieds was uh, a purchase from Harv Lennox. So it was oh. one of Harv Lennox's cars.
0: What a small world. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it is incredible how life that is a works. network, right? <laughs> yeah, and it really is. That's it's really a crazy story. Um, yeah. uh, and I've I've said you know, all along, and I keep saying it, from a generational standpoint, I don't know if there's a division of racing that really um, exemplifies multi-generational involvement more than the supermodifieds do, and Mm -hmm. you've just uh, kind of tied another loop into that. But, um, well, we certainly, um, I can say as a fan and as somebody who really I uh, love super modified racing. We, we, we miss, uh, Lickies being involved in that, but I can fully understand. Um, as a person in business, I can understand uh, Mike's commitment obviously to to his his deal and and uh, and you you said at the top of the call that dirt sprint cars are becoming much more popular over there in Canada. and so uh, it would make sense that maybe you stay a little bit closer to home for a while and still scratch your racing itch, but at the same time, um, leave yourself uh a little more time availability and also like you said it's just cheaper um you know it's it's tough supermodifieds are quite expensive to to run and maintain now
1: yeah very true buddy
0: yeah well um brian this has been fun uh and and great to and and i've learned some things here which is kind of cool and and i think your story is a great story because i think uh again, the resourcefulness and the craft that you had to employ in order to achieve your dream and the work ethic that you used to, to, to make that happen. And along of course, with the support of your family. And I'm so glad that your, your folks got to sort of be, you know, be a part of all that, that, um, you did it for the love of it. And I think, you know, to at least some degree, uh, you know, that may be missing from, from the sport now a little bit in the sense that it's just harder to do it because it's, so it's so costly. But um, love the way that you, you you did all that. Great memories of seeing you in both the TQ and the Super and appreciate uh, the time that you put into it because as a fan, without drivers like you who do what you you did um, and put all that time and effort in to achieve the dream, there aren't any cars for us to go watch. So I yeah. think we always appreciate folks like you and and uh, um, happy to see that you still enjoy it enough to, to come back to the track when you can. And I think now you're retired now, right? What's life what's like for you now?
1: Uh, actually, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. We just, uh, Patty and I, this past year, we moved out of the GTA area from uh, Oakville, and we went to a little quieter area by the name of Crystal Beach, which is okay. just outside Fort Erie. And uh, yeah, we're loving it. The The transition has been really great. Um, the community is great. And it's got that uh, small-town feeling again. So we're, we're looking forward to our next chapter here.
0: Well, I, uh, I'm going to throw this last question in just purely out of a sense of fun because I don't... I don't get to interview many Canadians, and when I do, I seem to keep forgetting. I'm a, uh, as, as you know, I'm, I'm a musician and a big fan of music. My top three rock bands are all Canadian bands. So Uh-oh. I, I want to know. Um, so, you know, Rush... The guess who, Bachman-Turner Overdrive, pick one and talk about, because again, I feel like it is, as, as, as off the, the, the map as this question seems, the relationship between music and racing is so strong, and it's another way in which Canadians came to America and, and were able to achieve success and so you know what, what the Canadian music scene has been crazy over the years and like I said yeah. there's the three bands so pick one and and, and uh, what's what, what what was all that like for you did you even pay attention to music?
1: Well, I I did, but I'm going to disappoint you. <laughs> okay. In that, in that, uh, my favorite Canadian folk singer is Gordon Lightfoot. There we go. Hey, <laughs> listen, you're
0: not disappointing me in the least because the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald yeah. moved me so much as a kid when it came out on the radio that as I, you know, got older. Um, And then Kevin, my my brother obviously works for the canal system, so the Maritime sort of – and I've actually done a lot of um, research into knowing that whole story. Gordon was amazing, and that song forever will be etched into my mind as one of the all-time most – you know, compelling—not only lyrics, but the music. I mean, he's—he—he he was great, and—and and I know that doesn't disappoint me at all. What a talent that man was, and—and and much like Neil Peart with Rush, it's a shame that we've—we've we've lost him. Um, but you know. Yeah, I'm I'm it's it's just ironic because, like I said, if I think about my top three all time, you know, they're all Canadians. So um, and and I love bacon. So I guess we're (laughs) so I'd fit right in over there with you, probably, um, you know. You and I should start something. Um, so, um, Brian, thanks for taking the time to, um, to, to, to to do this and to share your, your memories with us and, uh, you know, appreciate, again, everything that you've done in the sport and for it. and. Uh, uh, wish you and, and Patty uh, all the best in your new situation there. Downsizing is, um, is a great thing, I think, in this day and age, and, and it, um, you know, it, it, it makes life a little simpler and allows you to enjoy it a little more, I think.
1: Well, thank you very much for your time, Tommy, and wanted to wish everybody a happy new year as well and uh, continued success with your show.
0: Thank you so much. And you know what? I'm going to throw one last question because I'm looking at my notes realizing I missed something that I, I consider to be you and Tom Hevron at one point started an organization called Racers Against Drunk Driving. And I want to touch on that for a bit because I know it, it didn't sort of continue forward. But back then, uh, what was the motivation for that? And, and talk a little bit about um, kind of how, you know, how all that w- came about and, and worked out for a while.
1: So that was that was just all predicated on alcohol awareness. You know we had a we had a big uh, group of people that were in attendance, and we just wanted to make sure that everybody was conscious of the situation that they were in and not putting anybody in a v- bad situation. So the racers against drunk drivers was trying to promote not drinking, and uh, it was it was really good from an educational program where we used to uh, well, at the time, I had my midget car, so I used to go around to different schools and promoting the oh, there you go. Uh, not, not, dry, not drinking and driving scenario at an early age just to try to make people aware of it, and uh, so it was just trying to make people smarter.
0: Well, um, definitely uh, appreciated that as well and, and enjoyed the opportunity to, to, to help uh, pump that up a little bit with the, the first incarnation of this show. So, uh, again, Brian, thanks to uh, you for taking the time, and uh, we wish you and Patty well going forward. Uh, look forward to talking to you again. Hopefully we'll see you at Classic in uh, 2024 here if you guys can get up there and uh, have a safe and healthy year.
1: Thank you very much for that, Tom.
0: That is Brian Kors, back with more of the groove right after this. Experience the age-old Irish hospitality at Lagroff's Pub and Grill, a Swiggo's premier local spot to grab a cold one and cheer on your favorite sports teams. Stop in for an ice-cold beer alongside some exceptional pub fare. Burgers, wings, chicken sandwiches, Philly cheesesteaks, soups, and more. You want it, they've got it, served up with more than 40 years of awesome customer service. Have a friendly game of darts against players from across the world. That's right, players from across the world. Where else? In Oswego, can you go to play darts against somebody from across the world? That's crazy. Watch the games on their eight big screen TVs, or just relax at Oswego's Neighborhood Bar and Grill. Legroffs Pub, 187 East 10th Street in Oswego. Check them out on Legroffs.com. Welcome back to the show as we begin our final segment for episode 139. Hope that you enjoyed that interview with Brian Kors. It was a lot of fun to talk with Brian. And there are a couple of things that came up after we ended the interview. We were just um, having conversation and um, I was saying to Brian how I thought it was so cool that um, he got the opportunity to drive for Ralph McLaughlin and have that time in the Supermodified and Brian said, well, you were uh, instrumental in that and I said, I was. (laughs) He said, Yeah. I said, What did I do? Um, he said, Well, you you wrote in an article, and I'm assuming this was in a Pal Times article from back in the day, you wrote in an article that Brian Korce is looking for a super modified ride, maybe he ought to call Ralph McLaughlin. And I had I had no memory of doing that, but you know, I always tried to sort of bring good people together whenever possible and help people to, to get connected. That's, I think that's a part of, if you're in the media, I think that's a part of serving the sport. You know, it should go just beyond writing articles, doing shows, all that you should be, um, I think trying to wherever possible, um, help connect people. Cause you, you know, naturally in the media, um, you know, we build a network of contacts, right? So, um, I, I, that was, so that, that was cool to, to, uh, to hear that, that, um, that I had done something back then that, that kind of, I guess, um, put the thought (laughs) into, uh, the necessary heads, so to speak. And, you know, you throw something out there and hopefully it sticks, right? And so, um, the next part of that conversation was that um he and Ralph saw each other at the char pit does everybody remember the char pit oh my goodness by far the best breakfast and really to me when it was there the best food in town just great food and um hated to see that place go to be honest but um all good things must end, I guess, right? So, uh, Brian was there and saw Ralph, and Ralph said to him, "Well, are you going to come and get fitted for the car?" So um, that was cool to to find out that um, you know that I had a a small part in that. That was humbling, and so uh, lots of fun. And when you think about Ralph as an owner. He may have had more different drivers in his seat over the years than even Steve Miller. And the interesting thing is that I don't think one of them was Jamie Moore. I I don't. I mean, he may have somewhere, but um, I think Ralph may have been one of the few car owners that Jamie Moore never raced for. (laughs) Um, Jamie, nor did Gary Alberton, right? The two ultimate uh, talent. Talented helmet toters. Neither of them, I don't think, ever gotten the uh, McLaughlin 48. But, um, man, there were so many. And again, it's almost, I would love to be able to find somebody who could actually uh, list accurately. And, and it almost, I mean, it would have to either be Ralph himself or someone who is. With him the whole time, and so you know, it's uh, just to think about it. I mean, when Ralph first got into racing, and I remember distinctly because Ralph, Ralph's family, my family were, were neighbors, um, Caddy Corner, as they say here in the South, or in the North, Kitty Corner. So I guess you know, in the South, it's the adult, and in the in the in the North, it's the the kitten. Uh, but I uh, lived around the corner, and I remember I remember talking to Ralph, and Ralph telling me he bought a Super. At first, I didn't believe him. I thought he was joking with me, but he's he he wasn't. He said he had bought the Egg Howard Seven, and um, when I asked who his driver was, he said Steve Miller. And I, I, I mean, again, I'm I don't even, however old I was, eight or nine or ten, whatever, and um, you know, I just kind of went. in in my head, I'm thinking, why? (laughs) You know, because I, I think I'd seen Steve run his own car a time or two, but just thought that that was a curious choice, right? Steve had a car, he owned a car. And, um, you know, I was, I have to admit, I was a little underwhelmed. Um, but now looking back at it years later, how perfect, right? Because Ralph and Steve Miller, were cut from the same cloth. They loved it enough to do it when they knew they weren't going to win races. And that is a big piece of what's missing at the Oswego Speedway right now, particularly in the supermodifieds. Car owners who were doing it for the love of the sport... And, of course, the cost, the sheer cost at this point is what prohibits that. I mean, forget any other factor. It's just your cost. You know, you can't go buy stuff out of a junkyard. You can't go, you know, buy parts from the parts store anymore. Everything's handmade on these cars. Um, you know, and, and it's expensive. And the tires are expensive, the engines are expensive. It's just, you know, it's 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 hard to be a Ralph McLaughlin in twenty twenty-three or twenty-four. And when Ralph first started, Steve drove for him. I'm not even sure he drove an entire year. I almost want to think that maybe by classic time John Bush got in the car. And then I think the next car that 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 Ralph bought was John Bush's show car. And they uh, campaigned that car together for a little while. And then eventually, uh, I think John Barker got in it. And he drove it for a bit. John was an old dirt track racer. Not old, but he was a dirt track racer who made the transition for a little while and he raced for both Ralph and Steve. And I can't remember, um, I don't remember who he drove for first, but he drove for both of them. And then at some point, uh, Ron McCloud got in the car. And I remember Ron saying that he wanted to work on the handling and then worry about power. You know his theory was it doesn't matter. You could have a you could have a NASCAR truck motor in it, right? You could have a big motor in it. If the car doesn't handle, you're not going to apply that power properly. So get the most out of it. So Ron drove for him for a little bit, and then um, I think Tommy Leeson got in the car. Do you remember that? Oh, I almost hate to even bring this up because uh, I, if I remember if I remember correctly, it was classic day. And I think Tom was, um, uh, I think he was, it would, maybe it was the B main. I don't think it was the classic itself. It might've been, but I think it might've been the B main and they went to push him off. And two of the tires came off something like that. And so, um, that was, uh, unfortunate. And, but then Ralph either, I don't know if this was a show car or a McLaughlin built car, but I think it was a show car chassis anyway, that they built and, and it, it became the car known as the B the black and yellow one. And that car, I want to say maybe, um, gosh, I don't remember who was the first driver. Maybe it was John Barker, but, um, Really early on, whoever was in that car had a teammate because they they ran the second car, which was the the previous John Boy Show car. And a guy named Doug Didero made his super modified debut in that car. And he gave that car a good enough ride that he soon got promoted to the... <laughs> he went from the old car to the new car. <laughs> And that's where everybody started to see what Doug Darrow could be, was in that 48. A.J. Michaels drove for him for a bit. Um, gosh, who else was in the B? Uh, Freddie Graves drove for him for a little bit and won a concierge. And I think that may have been, in fact, the last competitive race that Freddie Graves ever won was in that car. Um, who else? Ron Wallace, I believe, ran his last competitive race in that car. Drove it a time or two. Then, um, we had Didero in there, and I don't remember who else might have driven that car. Right off the top of my head, it seems like there are a couple of others, maybe. Um but then eventually Ralph bought what I, now I could be wrong about this too, because I, I think I was trying to remember when I interviewed Joe Hawksby, I was always thinking that his car was a Graves car, but I think he said it was a Jeff West car. Um, So Ralph's last car, I think was a Graves car I think it was the old Gary the the first chassis that Gary Morton had uh, that was a Graves, and I think that's I think Ralph bought it, and I think that's when my goodness gracious it, the the driver list just swoll <laughs> swelled swoll. Um, you had. I mean, Bobby Smith was probably one of his longest-tenured drivers in it, but Brian Course, Um, Jeff West, Kenny Bell, I think Randy Ritzkis, maybe a time or two. Randy was another one that drove a ton of cars. Um, good gracious. Kenny Williamson, I think, drove for him for a, a, a stint a while, a little while. Um I don't even remember. There were there was there were so many. I'm sure somebody can add to the list, um, which is why we do this show in the first place. Um, so all of you can. This is a conversation starter, right? That's what we try to do. I want to start conversations with this show. That's the idea. Get people talking about super new and old. Um. Ralph had a ton of drivers. He had many different drivers. And Ralph was just, he was a great guy. I'm sure he still is. <laughs> um, but uh, thankful for owners like Ralph. When I look back, its it was the Ralph Wissings, the Steve Millers, the Ed McAuliffe's, the Ralph McLaughlin's, the, um, you know, the Claire Trierwellers, the Keenan and Addie's, the... Max Dowker's, the Ed Shays, um, you know, the guys that just owned cars. I mean, now you have John Nicotra, who is absolutely, you know, when I think about John and what he, John is going to, I feel like if, if, if the Lord wills that there is still an Oswego Speedway in 30 or 40 years, I feel like John Nakotra is going to go down in the history books as one of the single most positively influential people in track history. Not only as a car owner, but a championship car owner, but, but somebody who actually got up and went out and is you know, and, and really help save the super modified, the big block super modified division, because I mean, I feel like it's still on thin ice, but it certainly is. It's certainly looking like it's, it's going to get, you know, it's kickstart my heart. Right. Um, it's, um, I mean, we got to where we got with the cars, so there's really no going back, but, um, so, but it's guys that, it's these guys that owned cars. You don't have those guys anymore. You don't have those guys in super modified racing anymore. It's really a shame because it's just too expensive to do that. And so, you know, you just don't see it. Ed Shea still obviously the um, to a lesser extent now, um, you know, uh, the Locke family, but, of course, now their kids are driving. Um, I mean, you've got a few, you know, that, that are ISMA team owners that, that that still do it. But for the most part, at least at Oswego, they're gone. And, you know, you've got Nicotra and Chris Ossetic. But, you know, those guys are resourced enough to be able to have first-class operations you know there other than that it's either family you know the Prouds for example you know or, or its owner driver um, you know you got Danzer and Danzer Sharkey group that's been around forever but um, I mean again it's just different now you don't have the guys like Ralph that give people opportunities to drive super modifieds. Ralph did that. Steve Miller did that. Um, you know a, a lot of these old older car owners, you know, had McAuliffe made it possible for Jimmy Thompson to come to Oswego and drive. I mean you had um gosh, you had uh, what was his was it Darcy Kerfine? is that is that that I, I hope I got that right? Um, the 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 gentleman who owned the cars that uh, Bob Gudermount drove, you know you 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 just it's hard now. You just don't. It's just too costly. But so we salute Ralph McLaughlin and all of those like him who put their blood, sweat, and tears and dollars into big block super modified racing over the decades and. And and gave us the sort of intrigue of sometimes really not knowing who is going to be in the car the next week (laughs) because it was a rotating seat. And that that still remains endlessly fascinating to me. You know, as someone who grew up with it, that remains endlessly fascinating. You see a driver who goes from car A to car B and it's like, oh, wow, he's in that car tonight. How's he going to do, you know? oh, he's in this car now or you know, oh somebody else is at, like how are they gonna do? It was it was constantly something new and fun and fresh. And you just again, you just don't see it. So um, glad that we could could uh, give Brian an opportunity to tell his story and again, the marketing part of it, how he went about getting sponsorship and, and the, the, you know, kind of turning product into cash. Um, there are a whole lot of race teams and drivers that could do well with that lesson today. Still works. Still works. You just gotta be resourceful and you gotta be willing to work. But, um, so great stuff. Um, I want to talk about before we head out, I want to talk about Sean Cathcart for a minute. Where we've been, I've been trying to get Sean to. Sean has been extremely busy, um, and obviously more important to do what he's doing than do an interview for the show. But I know you know as soon as he can, we're, we're going to do that. Uh, Sean is back for another year, and Sean has had another baby. Now his babies aren't um, the typical kind of baby that you think about. Uh, his babies are. Retail places, um, which we know as bar and grills. Um, <laughs> so, he, Sean had another bar. Um, McCarthy's Bar and Grill is opening on Monday, this Monday, January the 22nd. And, um, I think it's great to see in the city of Oswego somebody who's expanding. And, and contributing across the city, and here's Sean doing just that. He's got Lagroff's Pub on the east side, still got Skip's mobile fish fry, the truck, mobile truck, and, and does a number of, of events, appearances, whatever you want to call it, uh, during the year, and then, of course, still active at the Speedway in the concession area, both pit and grandstand, but McCarthy's Bar and Grill is opening on Monday, January 22nd, 10 a.m., the hours are going to be Monday to Thursday, 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., uh, 9 a.m. to 12 a.m. on Friday and Saturday, so it closes at midnight, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. on Sundays. He's, he will have a small menu daily of deli sandwiches and soups and uh, lots more to come. And I noticed the most recent picture that he shared just this very morning, as a matter of fact, um, showing the inside of the bar and the work still going on. Brand new soda system, paint, beer tap system, and loads of smallish cosmetic issues being addressed. It looks messy now, but don't worry. We'll be firing on all cylinders for our opening on Monday. Congratulations to Sean Cathcart and his staff. That is located, by the way, on Tallman Street, uh, 91 Tallman Street in Oswego. It is not far from the Oswego River, and um, it's, it's on the west side. So. Now, depending on where you live and what kind of sort of experience you're looking for, you have two choices to go and support Sean, who supports Oswego Speedway and Super Modified Racing. If you want, you know, burgers and wings and all kinds of other amazing food, Lagroff's has that. And, of course, the Fish Fry Fridays at Lagroff's. Don't forget about that. And then if you, you know, if you're just looking for a deli type, like a sandwich and some soup, and, boy, what what better during a, a really cold winter day. And I know there's a lot of cold winter days going on up in Oswego right now. And um, we're having them here. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but um, McCarthy's Bar and Grill, uh, opening on Monday, will have deli, deli sandwiches and soups daily. So hope to get Sean on soon, but I wanted to, uh, at least throw them a plug and let all of you know that uh, if you're in Oswego, go support it. You know, if you if you normally eat out a couple of times a week, there's two places right there: Lagroff's and McCarthy's. Um, not sure how big McCarthy's is compared to Lagroff's. I don't know if they're going to have a bunch of big screen TVs. I did see a picture with some dartboards and a couple of video games, and so. Um, it may be a little smaller and more intimate, you know, it, it, it kind of more casual. Lagroff's, a um, great place, playoff football, um, and all the the other stuff going on right now. So eight big screen TVs there. Um, we talk about that. You hear about that each week on the show. Uh, LeGroff's Pub on East 10th Street, and now McCarthy's Bar and Grill opening up. Uh, Monday, the twenty second of January, ninety one Tallman Street. So go support that, and uh, quick nod to our other sponsors as well. If you need a pave job this year, you better get booked with J&S Paving. Rich Worth calendar filling up fast for this year. Uh, everyone knows now that Rich is the Mozart of macadam, and so you need to. Uh, he's he he's in demand. So you need to book quickly. If you know you're going to need something, uh, give him a call. Reach out to him on Facebook um, and, and get, get on his calendar for this year. Um, that's important. And, of course, we've got Wiggity Wayne Sauces. If you've not tried Wiggity Wayne's Sauces, rubs, and ketchups, you are missing out. They are absolutely delicious. If, if you're going to ask me about anything with spice, I can't give you that answer. Because uh, I don't do spice, but um, he's got stuff that's not spicy. He's got zero to uh, burn the inside of your mouth clear off. So he's it's it's zero to call the ambulance. Um, and uh, and there are a lot of people who like the kick. So um, and and he's got enough kick in say, like habanero ketchup. There's enough kick in that to boot a fifty yard field goal. So you need to try it. It's, it's actually, Wayne is from New York. He is a racer himself, races carts, loves it, loves the sport. And he, he's created a whole character around this and, uh, go to Wiggity, W-I-G-G-I-D-Y WiggityWayneSauces.com. Check out all the flavors and order you some and try it. I guarantee if you try it, you'll like it and give Wayne some feedback too, because he's always looking for that. So he is one of the family, so support him, please. And also, uh, of course, Jeff West. I don't need to talk about uh, IPC Indie Indie Performance Composites, but uh, make sure you support uh, Jeff. If you need something made, he's the guy. Um, he and his his team. That's um, and and just go to their go to their website, check them out. Um, and so appreciate all of our sponsors here, and excited about this year upcoming on the groove. Congratulations to Sean Cathcart on um, the grand opening soon. By the time this show comes out, we'll be within days. Um, and just to, I said I would talk about how it's, we haven't gotten any snow here in, in the Charlotte area of North Carolina, but uh, the mountains certainly have. And I was looking this morning, because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on the mic for uh, a national indoor cart race at uh, Tunica, Mississippi this weekend and looking at the weather between here and there, it was below zero in Tennessee. And there's snow on the ground. Oh, my goodness. Not cool. <laughs> it's freezing. It's not cool. It's freezing, but it's also not fun. Um, I, I am allergic to snow. When I see snow, I immediately break out into hives. My, my heart rate goes up. Um, snow sucks. And so, so I'm, I'm just hoping that, uh, the roads are clear and, and, uh, we can, uh, you know, we can safely travel there and back this weekend, but, uh, crazy to think about temperatures below zero in the mountains and, and really, um, even, even in, in Knoxville, I think it was like one degree this morning. So, um, It is cold all over, just thankfully, you know, not, although again, Tennessee, I think Nashville had like six or eight inches of snow this week, and that's more, that, they got a whole winter's worth of snow in one storm, so, um, it's, it's just crazy, so, uh, yeah, I have to bring the gloves and all, you know, winter hat and all that on, on the upcoming, uh, journey, so, um. And also, I will leave leave you on this note. Jeff Carson is upcoming. Jeff and I have spoken, and Jeff has done considerable research and I got to tell you I because again Jeff did a lot of his uh car ownership with the super modified after I you know moved out of the area, I did not realize, boy. This is going to be a fun show to do. So we're, we're, that's going to happen here in the next couple of weeks. Um, and Jeff's excited about it, and I'm excited about it. And, and again, the Carson family has a long history uh, connected to the Oswego Speedway. That's going to be a fun show and a fun interview that you're going to want to sit down and, and just really enjoy. Because Jeff's been around forever. He's still a car owner there, owns the number 10 in the SBS division that Mike Fowler drove this past year. And so um, Jeff is still involved. His son John raced a couple of years ago. And um, just, you know, again, he did not say necessarily wanted to just add other things. I mean, that life happens. So, you, you know, you just, the priorities change. So, but Jeff still owns a car, and, uh, and 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 Mike had a had a good season with it. It Was fun to watch. So, um, we're gonna have Jeff Carson upcoming, and that should be a lot of fun. Because, um, like I said, the Carson family, lots of stuff there, and uh, I'm sure some some really interesting stories. Uh, at, at, I mean, his parents bought the Harry Caruso mansion. And had that for quite a while. So, um, yeah, I mean, just a lot of stuff there. So, we'll uh, have Jeff on one of our next couple shows until episode 140 of the Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. It has been a pleasure to hang around with you for a little while again. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Have a safe, warm And enjoyable weekend, everybody. Talk to you next week. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com.